Welcome to the Fathom Church Weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. Uh, We're happy to have you here today, or if you're joining us back, welcome back. We're so glad that you're here to listen to the Word um, from wherever you are. We're so grateful for the technology that keeps us connected and keeps us hearing the Word as a church body together, even when we're apart. Make sure to follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on the Church Center app, Instagram, or YouTube, on our Facebook page, or our Fathom Family Facebook group. We hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. So a long time ago, when I was in seventh grade, I was playing Little League football. I think it was my first year playing Little League football, tackle football. And about the end of our practice, uh, I felt something in my back that was not right. Uh, I did had no words for it. I had no scientific understanding was taking place. But all I knew is, is something in my rib cage around to my lungs was taking place um, to where I couldn't breathe. Like I, st- I, I, I could not take a breath. If I made the slightest turn to the left or to the right, you see how I'm just small, I'm just moving to the right or the left. If I would do that, I would just... <gasps> I would just lose my breath. It, it was like something that like Dr. Like House should like diagnose. I had no idea what was taking place and some other doctors didn't know. I, I eventually, you know, we didn't know what to do. So I just laid flat on my back in the middle of this football practice and I just looked up to the sky and that was the only thing to keep my spine perfectly still so that I could breathe. I literally felt like I was dying in that moment. I would end up going to a chiropractor. They'd end up putting a neck brace on me thinking I've had some kind of kind of neck injury or something. Uh, and I would wear that for a few days. I got my first chiropractic adjustment over time. I not only got to feel better where I could breathe better over time, um, but I began to understand what was taking place in my, do- um, in my body. Apparently, there had been something that had taken place in between my vertebrae that caused inflammation, which is just kind of a growth, you know, uh, inflammation in between my vertebrae, which put um, pressure on my nerves, which wrapped around to my lungs, which allowed me to not breathe. So this would continue to happen um, anytime I did not go to the chiropractor and get my adjustment. Anytime um, I moved weird or did something weird. So that was since I was seventh grade. I've been kind of having this issue in my body. Um, and anytime I'm not in the chiropractor for an extended period of time, say I don't go for a month, about week six, this will happen again. At one stretch after we had moved here to Jacksonville, this is still had been going on. And um, I, I was at the church. I, I mowed the grass every Friday morning for the first several years of our church. And, and I was there by myself oftentimes on Friday morning. Um, and it happened. And I was away from my phone. And, and again, it hadn't happened in a long time, but it happened then. And again, I just laid flat there, just worried. I feel like I'm going to die. It, 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 play some games in your, in your head when you cannot breathe and all you can do is lay on the ground and you don't have a way to reach somebody. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. It was a humbling uh, time. Uh, but what I began to know and what I began to realize is I can't afford to get out of alignment in my spine. If I get out of alignment, things don't go well for me and I end up humbled, lying on my back, looking up, praying to God to just live through the next few moments. And some of us, I believe, will find the same thing true spiritually. When we're not in alignment, we know something's wrong. We begin to get anxious. Our breath gets short. Our temper gets short. Come on, somebody. Our temper gets short and it rises up. And eventually we find ourselves humble, lying on our back if we don't get ourselves back in alignment. So today I want to kick off a series to you 
called alignment. And just really about prayer, about worship, about setting first things first in our life. And to do this over the next three weeks, I want to work through, um, I say this a lot, but one of my favorite passages, and they're often my favorite passages because they've been so transformational in my own life. And that's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you're interested, you can uh, dive into, if you're like watching on um, like uh, YouTube or watching something on the TV, you can go on your phone or on your tablet to the YouVersion Bible app, and you can actually serve, uh, search their live events for Fathom Church uh, if you know how to do that. And you can find our events. I think that link is going to be in the comment section if you'd like to follow along with my notes today. But we're going to go to Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Um, and I think you'll find this equally transformational in your life as well. Let's read just these two verses. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to then uh, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a lot packed into those two verses, and we're going to unpack them slowly over the next three weeks. So I want you to take your attention to the very beginning, the first word that said in our English translation, Sentence. Like, I want you to see uh, what I'm about to say in light of what I've just said. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are major transitional sentences because in the first 11 chapters, remember Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome who has been persecuted, who has been um, exiled. All the Jews have been pushed out and really the church had just been um, Gentile Christians carrying on. And the Jews come back, um, finally, back to uh, to Rome. And at this time, um, they begin to have some tension about Jewish traditions and Gentile traditions and how they're very different. But Paul is teaching all of the church at Rome a bunch of things. And so the first 11 chapters, Paul's just like downloading a bunch of theology so that they are all on the same page um, about what the gospel is. He, he downloads some things like, um, hey, we're all, we, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Um, that's a reality, no matter how good you think you've been. I, I think many times in our culture, we have this same mentality of like, we're, well, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm moral enough. We've got what I call kind of good old boy theology. Like, I'll, I'll be good enough. And, and um, I'll just tell you, like, what we think is going to be good enough often is not good enough unless uh, we have found enough in the cross and in the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to teach things like justification and that we've been justified not by our righteous works, but by the, the goodness of God and by putting our faith in Jesus and his finished work. He teaches on the Holy Spirit making a, a, a new spirit in us, a, a regenerated uh, life and spirit in, in our own to be born again. He teaches on um, uh, the, the law and how the law was not sufficient to lead us. And then he begins to teach us about unity as Jews and Gentiles. And, and here we, we see that this background is important because this word, therefore, with all of that theology, with all that understanding that we're not good enough, that we need Jesus, that we're reliant on him, therefore, in view of God's mercy, and then he begins to unpack what a life of worship and what following Jesus 
is really about and really what it looks like and how we're going to be able to discern God's will. These are important questions that you and I ask today. Like, what does it mean to really worship God? What should I do with my life? You know, don't conform. How how does transformation really take place in my life? Right? I know I'm supposed to be living a life that honors God, and I know that I don't now, but how's that transformation take place? And then at the end, I want to point you to the end of verse 2. It says that this is all so that we can know God's will. I think many of us, like we we're, might be in different places. Like some of us are like, yeah, God has a plan for my life. I believe that. I know that. And it's a good plan. Others of us like, yeah, maybe there's a God, but I don't know that he cares to know me. Like I'm not that interesting. Uh, there's nothing that's special for me in this life. I don't know that he has an actual plan for my life, an actual perfect will for my life. I might fall in different places. And so we're going to talk more about that as we go. But I want you to see this kind of transitional thing uh, that Paul puts there, therefore, and then ending with his will, and then moving into the rest of the the, the letter is going to be about what it means to follow Jesus. He's going to talk about some touchy things even today, like, you know, submitting to governing authorities, right? If you want your toes stepped on, go to chapter 13, verse 1 in our current climate. Uh, we can move on to things about food and drink and what we should eat, eat and what we do and how we're unified, mature and, and young in the faith, how, how we're supposed to be unified and, and thinking and caring for one another. So there's so much to dig into here, but I, I want us to connect the idea here, therefore, in view of God's mercy is where I want us to start. And this is the first point for today. I only have two points. First is that mercy is our starting point for a life that's in alignment. Mercy is our starting point for prayer, for worship, for a life that honors God. Mercy is the starting point. Um, we teach mercy and grace to our kids a lot. Um, and, uh, I, I think some parents, um, might find this helpful as well and how we teach it. Um, and some of us will say we're very merciful parents, but really we're just lazy in our discipline. Like I just show a lot of mercy. I'm like, I didn't let it go. And, and actually we're just being kind of selfish. We're actually not showing love by not disciplining them. Um, and, and so we run a pretty tight ship around here and, and our kids know that obedience is the first time, not the second or third time. There will be consequences if they continue in disobedience because we want them to understand that there's consequences when we disobey God as well. And if they we're teaching that, helping them understand that today. So the way, one of the ways we teach uh, mercy in our home is, hey, they'll be disciplined. Hey, you know, if they touch, we told them not to touch the stove, they're going to feel the consequences of those actions. You felt that consequence in your own life um, by uh, your parents or maybe by life itself. When you disobeyed God, you found the. But then every once in a while, we'll draw one of our kids or maybe all of them and say, hey, <clears throat> you guys have disobeyed. You do not. Um, it, you deserve the punishment that we just told you you're going to have, but we want to teach you about the nature and character of God. And so we say, hey, you know what? We're going to teach you about mercy. And here's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you actually deserve. And this is where Paul points us. He says, this is, this is what you should have in view because we have fallen short of the glory of God. Because we've all sinned. Every single one of us, even the most righteous among us, has fallen short of the glory and the holiness of God. We've fallen short. And so we must begin to view our life as a starting point as in view of God's mercy. We understand that, hey, we actually deserve hell. 
And we love to talk about grace, which I'm going to define for us in just a moment very easily, like a simple definition for us. Um, but we must understand that that mercy is our starting point. We love to talk about grace, and, and grace is kind of the opposite. And we'll teach our kids in this in a similar manner, you know, sometimes in which they've acted a fool and they're they're you know disobeying us on something, or they haven't had the best week when it comes to you know doing their chores or obeying their parents or their teachers or whatever it might be. We'll say, hey, we want to bless you. We, we want to sh- uh, show grace to you in this moment because that's who God is. We, we make a very careful point when we're doing this, when we're being merciful, when we're showing grace, not to get attention, but because we want to point them to the mercy and grace of God. We, we're parenting and pointing towards Jesus through all of it. And we'll say, hey, you actually don't deserve to go get ice cream tonight on our family date night, but because we love you, because God loves you, and this is this is who he is. He's a God of grace. He not only doesn't give you what you do deserve, hell, he gives us what we don't deserve, heaven. This is understanding mercy and grace, and these are so important in our life. Um, and so we have to understand that, and maybe that helps break it down for you. When I start going to the chiropractor here in Jacksonville, my chiropractor does a, kind of a niche technology called Atlas Technology, which is really interesting. It's, I guess it's about the size of a dime uh, or, or a nickel, and it's like wafer thin, and it sits at the top of your spine. It's something known as the atlas. There's like a like a 3% of chiropractors that actually do this technology. And it's set up by an x-ray. They get exactly where your atlas is, and they lay you down on this table, and they adjust at the very top of your spine this very wafer thin piece. Often my chiropractor will try to adjust some things in my lower lumbar or my, my L4 or whatever it might be. He'll try to adjust it, and it won't move, and he goes, we need to go adjust your atlas. So he lays me down and, and he does very precisely. He, he adjusts this and then he, he says, sit up slowly. And I'll feel this rush of blood back to my head. And here's what he says to me. He goes, if that's not in line, nothing else is going to fall into place. If your atlas is not in place, everything else is going to be much harder to get into place. And I believe the same thing is true for our spiritual life when it comes to transformation when it comes to freedom from addiction, when it comes to unity in our marriage or in our team at work, when it comes uh, to uh, freedom from anxiety, when it comes to discerning God's will and knowing what's best, if we don't get first things first, if we're not viewing it in view of God's mercy, then nothing else is going to come into alignment. And we feel that rush of blood and you're like, whoa, that feels so much better. Hebrews 4, 16 says, then come on, let's, let's be able to approach God with confidence because of his grace, because of it, uh, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And so many of us are in a time of need right now, but I have a hard truth to bring to you that many of our prayers, much of our worship is tainted by pride. There's an inflammation, if you will, in our prayer life, an inflammation of self. Those who think, yeah, I don't really need church. I don't, I don't really need to read the Bible. I don't really need to pray. I feel pretty good. Life's pretty good. Life, it's an inflammation of our pride in your prayers, and you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it, but there's an inflammation there. And here's the reality is we can't discern God's perfect will, where this is all going, what it's leading up to. We can't discern what God has for our life, what we're supposed to do with our business, the decision we're supposed to make in our career, the, the move that's been offered to us. We can't discern any of that because it's being tainted by pride. I have a pastor friend who was a student pastor 
at one point, and he said um, they had a situation in a prior ministry engagement in which uh, a, um, there was two couples on their uh, student ministry staff, and the husband, one of the husbands and, and the wife of the other couple um, began to have an affair with one another. And uh, later on, uh, the student pastor found it out. He alerted the lead pastor, and they had uh, confronted this uh, couple that was having this affair um, with their sin. And uh, when they confronted them, here's what the, this couple that was having the affair said, married to other people, having an affair with one another. They said, you know, pastor, we, we pray before we're together and we pray after we're together. You know, and we just feel like this is right. It just feels right. We feel like this is God's will for our life. They were so deceived. Their, their prayers had been pre- uh, tainted by their own pride, by their own flesh was in the way. They weren't viewing their life as a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. So they were not able to discern God's will. They had convinced themselves the feel good feeling prayer before and after was making everything okay, but it wasn't. You see, pride will knock us out of alignment and it's mercy that brings us back into alignment. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow that diminish the great mercy of God. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 say it like this, the steadfast the love of the Lord never ceases. I, I know your love for God, your love for people, or your spouse, or your job, or your ministry opportunity, it goes up and down, but God's steadfast love, it, it doesn't cease. No, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. And somebody needs to hear this today because you've messed up this week, this past, yesterday, this week. This, this link and you have no idea why you're here, but right now you need to hear this. His mercies are new every morning, every single morning. And I need that and you need that. And we can't afford to not have that in view. Romans 2 verse 4 says it's because of the kindness of God that it leads us to repentance. And so if you feel that kindness, if his love is flowing to you in this moment, if you are just turning back to his mercy, let it turn you to repentance, a real transformation in our life. Years ago, Google came out with this this technology, I don't even know that it's actually come to market. I think they've just still been kind of uh, in alpha and beta kind of renderings of this. Um, but it's something called Google Glass. I don't know if you ever heard of Google Glasses. It's like these glasses you wear. And it, they had like a demonstration where you're sitting in your car and you look out and you can actually see street signs. You, you see them illuminated through like clear glasses. And you can actually, there's cameras all around your car. And you can look down and look through your vehicle, which is like mind-blowing. We live in the future type of thing. But you look through your car, you look through the obstructions, and you can see, um, you know, the bike that's sitting over there. You can see the toddler crawling behind or your child running behind the car. You can see everything through there. And so many of us, we are like the psalmist that says, you know, my, my sin is ever before me. 
What Paul is saying is it shouldn't be our sin, though we should recognize our sin that we've fallen short of the glory of God, but actually it's his mercy that should stay in view and that keeps everything in proper alignment. If it's just our sin that's ever before us, if it's just what we need to do to get back on track that's ever before us, we're actually getting off track. We'll make it about our works and we'll be in flames with pride. We'll get so far out of alignment. I'm going to ask you real quick, where is the pride in your prayer life today? Have you ignored God altogether? Have you skipped past mercy and just went to works? God, I'm going to get myself back on track. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to get myself back in church. I'm going to get my, my spiritual life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to do all these things. We're skipping past his mercy. That brings us such a deep humility that now we can operate what Paul says is a life of a living sacrifice, a, a true and proper worship, which is really the next part. Read with me again that end of verse 1 today. So to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. When he says bodies, he's not talking about your physical bodies, though our physical bodies is a part of what he's saying. He's saying our entire being. I was a kid who grew up in church. I know many of you have not come from a church background. My, that's my background. I came up in the church and, you know, there were some songs I liked and there were some songs I didn't like and I didn't understand much of it. But when I came to faith in Jesus as a young teen, I, I began to just really fall in love with music and worship. And, and even by the time I was a senior in high school, I'd quit all my sports and activities. And I just wanted to, to worship and learn music. So I was taking voice lessons as a senior in high school. And and I had kind of this weird relationship with music and worship. And for a long time, I just understood worship. We do before the word that prepares our heart to enter in. Hey, that is a part of what worship is, but it's not all that worship is. And it was this verse that began to illuminate that. That that, that true and proper worship is not something that we just offer in one place and in a sacred space, but that we in and of ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That our bodies are a living sacrifice. This idea of sacrifice goes long back to, um, and the sacrifice connected to worship goes far back in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Particularly back to Genesis chapter 22, in which we have one of the hardest scriptures in all of the Bible, where God calls Abraham, asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, uh, the, the one son that, not his only son, but the heir uh, for him at this time. He had had Ishmael, um, but his rightful son at this time. And so God calls him to bring him. And, and um, uh, Abraham turns to his servants and, and he says, hey, uh, the, the child and I are going to go up to this mountain and worship God. He was going to bring a sacrifice to God that was a human sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice. His only son, something so cherished to him. As a father, I can't imagine God asking me to do this. But this one instance in history, if God ever asked you to do this, that's not God, right? Um, but in this instance in history, God is making this just extravagant picture for you and I today about a life of worship. And because Abraham goes up there and as he lifts his hand to, to sacrifice his own son, Abraham had said in faith that God would provide the sacrifice. 
And he looks up into this, this thicket across the way and he sees that there's a ram in the thicket. And God had provided the sacrifice and God withheld him from sacrificing his son. And the same is true that God had provided that living sacrifice. He provided a sacrifice once and for all in Jesus Christ. Actually a perfect sacrifice. Um, and some of us, we struggle to understand worship, what it means to be uh, a living sacrifice so maybe for us, it's better to understand it for some of us as worth-ship. Like, what are we determining is worthy in our life? Worthy of our attention? Worthy of our affection? Worthy of our investment? Worthy of our anxiety? Worthy of our time? We determine what is worth our worship all the time. So thinking of it in this way is very helpful because the reality is all of us are worshiping something, believer and unbeliever, mature in the faith and immature in the faith. We're all worshiping something. If you're not sure what you're worshiping, I dare you to ask a friend or to ask a spouse. They'll tell you what you worship and it'll hurt probably. Throughout my life, I've been convicted many times of worshiping other things, been convicted by God himself, convicted of worshiping sports, worshiping success or sex or money or, or, or perfection or, or worshiping education or my hobbies. Maybe in your life, you can think back to a time in which God convicted you of putting something in front of him. It got all of your attention and all your affection and all of your, your mind and your worship. Maybe you've been convicted back in a prior time in your life. Can you think of something? Maybe today you can actually think of something right now that's coming to your mind that you know is actually the object of your affection more than God. It gets more of your energy and your, your time and your thought. The Greek and Hebrew words for worship actually are rendered to really understand. It means to lay prostrate. It means to lay flat on the ground. A flat out life of worship. This was a physical act of worship. Many of us would be afraid to do something like this in a public worship. We'd be afraid to even do it in a private worship time in your own bedroom. You'd be afraid to lay flat before the Lord and worship. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe the next time we're in public worship, God will bring you to just lie flat before him, prostrate before him. But really what he's after, even more than the physical rendering, sometimes we do the physical to break something up in our heart that really needs to take place. We want to show God we are serious about this. But what he's really after is our heart, a life that is prostrate, a life that is fully surrendered to him face down, because otherwise we're going to end up face up saying, God, just help me. But it's that life of humility that we look down to the ground and say, God, I see your mercy and I offer my life as a living sacrifice. I lay myself on the altar of this life, not just my body, but my mind, my opinions, my sexuality finances, my marriage, my children. God, I lay it all out there for you that it may be holy and pleasing to you, true and proper worship. My life is now a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. It, worship is not just songs that are lifted up or, or things like that, but husbands, when you listen to your wives with what I call divine empathy, it's worship to God. 
moms, uh, when, when you choose to get down on the floor with your kids and play or cuddle your children tight instead of pushing them off to their devices, you bring worship and honor to God. When you care for the sick or the poor and the hungry, when you care for the widow and the orphan, when you bring a meal to someone sick and hurt, when you make a phone call to a friend in, that you know is going through a difficult time, you bring worship to God. When you lift your hands and bow your heart, bring worship to God. Students, adults, when you choose not to laugh when someone's gossiping about someone else or a coarse joke, when you choose not to laugh, you bring honor to God. That's holy and pleasing. When you choose to, to give, not out of, you know, uh, you, you have to, but because you get to and joy, when you give out of that type of heart, it brings worship to God. You see, God wants to do something in our life and he wants to guide us to his perfect will, but it cannot take place without first starting at the point of mercy and a life of worship that's going to begin to be transformed through prayer and worship, through being with God, will create a renewed mind that we're going to talk about next week. But I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what part of your body or your life, your spirit, your mind, your sexuality, your finances, your stress that you have not surrendered to God, laid prostrate, so that your life too may be a living Sacrifice, But today I want to call you to the altar right where you're at to say, God, I'm coming back to your mercy, God. I'm putting mercy back in the forefront, not what I can do for you, but what you have graciously done for me. Hebrews chapter 10 says it beautifully. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. God has finished the work through Jesus Christ. Now we are living that out in transformation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this amazing quote. He says, once a man has truly experienced the mercy of God, truly experienced it in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. Changes everything. We just begin to live a life of sacrifice. I don't know where you're at today, but I know over the next few weeks, God's going to help us understand this. He's going to help us dive into what it means to know Him, to be transformed by Him, the starting point of mercy, and truly knowing His will. That's where God's leading us to. I'll end you today with this quote, and then we'll pray. And Lee's going to lead us in a final song by Shakespeare, of all people. He said, Open thy gate of mercy, gracious God. My soul flies through these wounds to seek out thee. I pray that out of the wounds of our own life, our own hurt, our own suffering, our own failures today, we would cry out to a merciful God to open thy gate of mercy to us once again, that we may live a life of service and sacrifice to him. We pray with him. Father, we love you today. God, we return back to you the life that you have paid a price for. We return it back. God, because you've done all the sacrificing, God, for us. You've finished the work. And so we just return back to you. Love, adoration, glory that is due you. God, a life surrendered is what you're looking after. God, a heart surrendered. That's some of us, we, we're just real. God, I don't have anything else to give you but my heart right now. 
I don't feel like I've got a gift. I don't feel like I've got time or energy or, or money or anything. I don't feel like I've got anything else to give you, but what I give you, God, is all of me. Come on, will you just open your heart? Let's worship together. Let's invite him in and give him the praise that he's worthy of. Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, Fathom Beyond Sunday, and there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.